So as far as this podcast goes, you've heard it before. You know, like Rachel and I can get a little crazy <laughs> and a little goofy. I'm goo- listening to art and that was killing me. <laughs> I was like, dang, y'all like took him in a section that I just did not see coming. <laughs> Hey, Warners, welcome to another episode of The Women Your Mother Warned You About, the podcast that makes business sexy again. Yep, that was me pretending to be Rachel Pitts because she's not here today. The thing is, she and I are grinding very hard, even though you know that we don't like the word grind. It is what it is. She's doing her thing this week. I'm doing my thing. And so we have just agreed that sometimes we can't be together, but the heart, we definitely, the heart grows fonder because we are not together this week. But instead, I brought another blonde. I hope she doesn't mind me saying that, but I brought another blonde to the show. Welcome, Julia Meadows. She is the Director of Sales Growth and Enablement at Bloomerang. And welcome, Julia. Thanks for thanks for filling in for Rachel this week. Absolutely. This is the best use of a lunch break that I've had in absolutely months. So thrilled to be here. Oh, that's awesome. And we just got started. I hope you feel the same way at the end of the show. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, the good news is it's just me. You know, sometimes when it's Rachel and I, it is like high power and you're, the people want to, you know, go running. But I, I don't feel like you're going to have that. You know, we we're kind of joking around about some of the men that have come on as guests. And uh, you've, you've listened to some of the shows and the fun that we have. But um, you're safe. You're safe. You're safe here today. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, well, if you want to use me as a guinea pig on anything, you just let me know and I'll Fantastic. I'll okay, awesome. And a shout out to Sales Gravy, the sponsor of this show. For more information about Sales Gravy or Sales Gravy University, go to salesgravy.university. You can find Rachel and I both there. So I'm excited to have you here, Julia, um, doing what you do. Um, give us just a little kind of summary for our listeners about Bloomerang um, and about what you do. Just a, a quick little, you know, elevator pitch. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, nonprofit employees come in oftentimes inspired by the mission, but then get into the role and get bogged down by maybe using a bunch of spreadsheets, maybe having data data siloed all over the place. And our goal is to make the database and the managing of those relationships something that can be easy for them Mm -hmm. so that they can shift and reallocate that time to better engaging and retaining their donors and and being more strategic in their fundraising efforts. And this is just a little bit different, right, from the traditional sales world. But what I find hot about it is that I think there's a misconception of, you know, people here nonprofit and they almost kind of tune it out or don't take it as seriously, but it's still sales, right? Oh, absolutely. I I can honestly say, I think if you ever are able to see a true fundraiser in their element, they're some of the best salespeople that I've ever seen because they're selling a vision. They're Mm -hmm. selling the belief in the work that they're doing. And that's a really hard job to do. And then also to, to differentiate yourself, right? Amongst all of these other folks that are doing great work. Um, so it does require a, a large amount of strategy to, to make sure that you're setting yourself apart and, and getting your message out there. 
That is a tough, I mean, I've done um, a lot of volunteer work with nonprofits. I've sat on nonprofit boards. Uh, Oftentimes they put a lot of pressure on board members to go solicit and raise money. I've, I've worked with executive directors that that's their primary job is to go get money. I've definitely been frustrated over the years as a board member um, when we've had an executive director that they're all warm and fuzzy for the vision and the cause like you're talking about. I love that selling a vision, but they've got no sales experience. I don't know if you've run into that at all, um, but that that has been something that I've seen happen a lot. Totally. Um, I, you know, I think if you think about nonprofit work, oftentimes they're inspired because they were previously kind of the boots on the ground at another organization, or they've encountered a challenge and executive directors wear a ton of different hats. Um, so it's definitely something that you see, but then for as many that, that might not have the maybe fundraising background or kind of that relationship building forte, there are equally as many folks who can really wow you with kind of the the strategy that they've built and, and the way that they're connecting with folks. So it's it's a little bit of a different approach, right, in the nonprofit world. What do you see um, for people who have no idea what we're talking about in, in raising money in the nonprofit world, what's the, what's the approach and how is it different? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think in the same way that you as a, an individual that, that is in sales, that, that's trying to sell a solution, there is a bit of a nuance to it because the relationship building aspect that tends to be required prior to making a true ask for a gift is much more important in the process. So you're not going to come to to someone that you don't know very well, that's not really connected with the organization and, and make a big ask. There's a lot of investment in terms of time and energy and focus into cultivating those relationships on the front end. And then simultaneously, it becomes almost crucial that you continue to pay attention to those folks Mm. so that they feel appreciated and you don't run into a moment where as many folks that are coming in the door and giving to the organization start to leave because you've kind of left them high and dry after that general general thank you. Yeah, we see that in the sales world, don't we? The, um, I got the business, I closed the deal, I'm off to the next deal. Thank you very much. Goodbye. And there's this feeling sometimes from customers of like, oh, where'd you go? <laughs> right? Absolutely. Right. And even more so with nonprofits because it's a gift, right? Like we can't ping support and say, like, hey, what happened here? It's a relationship. And that truly is, you know, the the piece that I think sometimes can be forgotten or really hard to do because administratively they don't have the resources. Mm. That's that's our goal is to let's make that part easy so you can focus on reinvesting in that group of folks on a regular basis. Uh, you you hit on such a great point, right? There, you don't have the administrative backup to help you, right? In nonprofit, as much. I mean, some some do, depending on the nonprofit. Just like any business that that have the support and the resources and the capital, and then others don't have it. How do we? I would love to learn, like 
how could salespeople not in nonprofit learn from people, salespeople in nonprofit? Because you hit on something really important, relationship and the time it takes to nurture. Are there some tips that you can give salespeople on how to nurture those relationships? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think something that was really important for me to learn early on in working with and for nonprofits is they have a real story and our software isn't just helping them to become a more efficient business. It's helping them to become more efficient administratively, but more importantly, helping them make a greater difference in the community or the world at large. And so I think when you realize who you're actually talking to on the other end of the phone, in a meeting, on a demo, you start to realize we have to approach them with less of this efficiency focus and more of this, how can we help you do better because we know you're already doing so much good. And so I think it takes a lot of the me, me, me out of it and a lot more focused on like, how can we help this nonprofit create a greater impact? And Mm -hmm. so you become much more genuine because I don't send a lot of gifts in my emails, right? Like it's a lot more about like, Hey, I'm, I was so personally touched by what you're doing. Can we, can we help? Like, can we can we help make this thing easier for you on the back end so you can get back to, to what you really care about? So is there is there a different approach that the nonprofit world uses when it comes to email or just picking up the phone and asking for donations and gifts? What do you see has been um, the effective ways that they can do that? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, I would say from the standpoint of approach, it it tends to be a little bit more formal in nature in the way that we communicate with them. So a little bit more understanding that a lot of them have multiple degrees, have gone to be a certified fundraising expert. Depending on the type of organization, they could be in a higher ed situation. So being cognizant of the types of folks that that you're chatting with, I think is super important, but also having a warmness, I think is important. And you can convey that in the way that you communicate without being overly casual. But I also think too, depending on the work of the nonprofit, it's, I mean, it's serious work. Like it's Mm -hmm. not necessarily always warm and fuzzy. And so being, I think, sensitive and aware of the types of things you might be pulling them away from in the midst of a day is, is really important to when you approach that, that conversation with the prospect and then by byproduct, the way that they communicate with the various folks that are volunteering and or affiliated with the organization. Yeah. Are there, um, are, are there things that you've seen those organizations do successfully to raise money that's maybe different from the regular sales us in the regular sales world? I would say 
there are tinges of it depending on the sales organization that could definitely be relevant to the sales world. But it's a lot of the the story sharing, right? Sharing things that are going to really like just wow you in terms of the type of impact that they're making or things that, you know, might make you shudder at the existing state of something that they're trying to chip away at and and make an impact on. But I think the biggest thing that I tend to be impacted by is, is anecdotes and stories and things that you can visualize and take a snapshot into and walk into that moment and feel it. And that's something that I think nonprofits do an incredible job with. And if they do it right, my goodness, I mean, it, it, it's pretty amazing. I, I love that. That's exactly the nugget I was looking for um, that I didn't expect yet. I knew, right? That is what they do. They, they go at us with stories that compel us, right? And I love the word you use with shudder. The stories that make us shudder, right? You think about these stories that you hear that that are are oftentimes sad stories. And um these organizations are are dedicated to making something better, right? They're making someone's life better, they're making the world better, whatever they're making better. That that is their goal. And somebody had a vision for it because they may have been impacted by it. And that's why they're so passionate and dedicated to it. And it's the stories that get people to open up their wallets, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it's the things that, that stick in your mind. You know, if, if you have an image in your mind or, or if you hear something for the first time, you can remember where you were when you heard something or, or received something that was impactful. But a stat, you know, stats are great, but stories, those are unforgettable, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. I love that. So that, that, for us, for our listeners, Warners, I think that is a really good one to take away. What are you doing to tell more story, to to build a compelling case that gets people really interested? And oftentimes, and this is this is ironically, coincidentally fresh on my mind because I just this week launched a new course at Sales Gravy, Selling with Stories. So um, so it's fresh on my mind. I don't even mean to be plugging it, um, but we I literally just launched it a couple days ago and really focusing on for salespeople to take stories about their customers and then use that as a compelling message, right? And have those stories in their pocket for um, cause every customer that they talk to is different and may have a different agenda, objective, desired outcome. And if you have a story that aligns to that about someone else, that prospect can actually put themselves in that story and visualize, oh, that, that, that could be me. That sounds like me. If that, that, those problems sound like my problems and look at how they solve the problems. I love that. I think too, as the the person sharing the story, it gets you believing that they could be yeah. the person, which gives you confidence to to speak on that and say, "Hey, I actually I know somebody that I talked to last week." Yeah, and that that brings oomph and that that brings yeah. realness to the conversation. 
Yeah, realness, realness, which leads to relationship, right? Now we're like, we forgot about all the stats and the data. We forgot about, oh, we're here to buy something and sell something. We're actually really in the moment. This is something I'm so passionate about. I'm passionate about story and I'm passionate about organic conversations that um, lead somewhere. Maybe it's not closing a deal, but maybe it's closing a deal later and maybe it's it's referring someone to someone else and or connecting people and organizations. But it's that story that bonds us together because we find meaning in story. We don't find meaning in facts. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, facts and figures when that's all we're focused on. Obviously, we need some facts, but story is going to bring it all together. So I love that. I love that that is something that um, our listeners can take away. Uh, what is what are some of the things that you specifically at Bloomering do to help nonprofits when it comes to raising money? Yeah, that's a great question. So a lot of the reasoning why Bloomering was built and why you know the software has evolved over time is based specifically around how to fundraise effectively. So taking things from the industry that we know are important, right? So like quickly calling a donor in order to increase the likelihood that they would give again. So Mm. shaping the software in a way that we can allow for a quick first time call or having a quick meter on a constituent's profile that is going to essentially gauge their engagement with the organization through a variety of different touch points to say, hey, this person's really engaged, but it looks like maybe they haven't given to the level that it seems that they are capable of giving. This individual might be worth nudging because they already believe they volunteer heavily. They've given a lot, but maybe not to the level through understanding what their capacity to give is that they could be giving. Maybe this person's worth another look, or maybe this person is worth taking a coffee to understand what they feel most passionate about with relation to the organization. So this is, this is a a software. Yes. It's a a database for nonprofits. Okay. And is this something that you customize for them or tell me a little more about how the software works? Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, so really the the focus that we have in the market is kind of that small to medium-sized nonprofit. So helping nonprofits have a starting point. So most oftentimes there are a number of things that they'll be able to use right when they get set up with the system. But then over time, they'll start to expand how they're using the system, how they're customizing their reports. But a lot of it is geared to to be a bit more ready for someone that's small to medium as Mm -hmm. opposed to being a fully customizable yet beast of a tool to build out because they don't they don't have the time for that, right? Right. Like they're just trying to to get a solid system in place that's going to help them effectively manage those relationships. So it sounds like from some of the things that you said that they could actually pull reports that will give them indication of engagement and how can they, I'm I'm putting this kind of like making it parallel to the commercial sales world, right? Being able to gauge activity, 
um, in a way, profile those potential past donors? Um, or do you have other donors in that database that are not yet donors that could be donors? Absolutely. So what we would term that individual would be a constituent. So okay. maybe somebody's volunteered, they've come to several events, and you can track all of that in the system to say, hey, they've been a really steady volunteer. Maybe you should go ask them for their first gift. I love it. I love it. So these are prospects. You you're, you're, you call them constituents, but in essence, they're prospects because they've shown interest in the organization that they're volunteering for. Perhaps they've some they've showed some level of interest in that organization in that nonprofit. So that makes them a potential donor. Yes, absolutely. That is so cool. I love it. I love it. So now I'm curious because we talked about story. What is the story behind Bloomerang and how how they came about to help these nonprofits? And again, I've sat on boards. I know how challenging it is to to raise money and and keep things going. How did Bloomerang come about? So J Love um, has long been in the nonprofit not only world specifically in terms of like working with and for nonprofits, but also kind of in this nonprofit software realm. Um, And really he was looking around in the market and realized that there was a huge need for a software to kind of take a different approach with small to medium sized nonprofits and really try and be advocates, support them and using the tool, not just try and sell them a software and then say, you're off into the races, but but trying to help them grow and, and think meaningfully around the way that we build the software. So constantly getting feedback from fundraisers and folks in the nonprofit world to make sure that we're not just creating tech to create tech, we're creating a software to empower nonprofits. And Bloomerang had acquired Kindful, correct? Yes. So as of January, Bloomerang strategically acquired Kindful, yes. And tell me a little more about Kindful. Yeah. So Kindful was founded because... Jeremy Bowles at the time, our founder, was consulting with nonprofits, realized that he was kind of being tasked with building a software because there wasn't something in place to meet the needs of some of the folks that he was consulting with. And so he took a step back and said, okay, well, if I keep getting these questions, perhaps I should just go out and build this software myself so that we can serve thousands of nonprofits as opposed to creating custom databases for only a handful. And then uh, Bloomerang came around and acquired them. Yes. So definitely has, you know, Kindful had strengths in kind of taking more of an integration focused approach and, and being the central hub as well as having strong fundraising tools. Bloomerang has a fantastic database that is very much informed based on fundraising best practices. And so the ultimate goal is to, you know, join forces, thoughtfully bring together um, 
all of the the folks that we've been working with and then try and make a bigger impact on a larger group of folks because better together than apart, I guess, is the the old adage. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm curious because, you know, COVID impacted so many organizations, so many people. How did it impact the nonprofit world and how, I mean, did you see a change um, with your, with Bloomerang's help, Kindful's help to help nonprofits during, during that time? How did, how were, how were they affected by COVID? So within the first, I guess, like two months, there was this feeling of panic, largely because up until then, nonprofits that didn't have, you know, a database or maybe didn't have like a full tech stack really weren't equipped to seamlessly transition to this work from home environment. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we think about tools like Slack or or whatever that we use in a day-to-day basis. There were nonprofits that truly had none of those communications in place. And so getting their day-to-day job done was extremely difficult, partnered with, you know, spring and summer are huge fundraising times for mm-hmm. events. And COVID came essentially right alongside some of the biggest seasons for in-person events. And so these nonprofits that raise, you know, thousands, tens, hundreds of thousands through these events that happen in the spring and summer were panicking, rightfully so, because it wasn't safe to to gather. And so it was definitely a coming together. There was a lot of us doing um, marketing, like seminars, trying to do webinars, trying to educate on how they could transition some of those in-person events to being virtual, how they can use things like online fundraising pages to gather some of the gifts that they might have received more traditionally through check or, or cash gifts. And so it really was I think a a frightening time, but also this time of really just like stripping back and saying, we aren't salespeople. We are people that work with nonprofits and how can we support them? And so a lot of the messaging completely removed the sales aspect and Mm -hmm. said, what resources do you all need? How can we support you? How can we support our existing customers? So Mm -hmm. It was, I mean, it was gratifying in a way looking back, although, you know, I think scary at the time. Well, I think during the beginning, and, and I still see it now, but in the beginning, it's obviously was much more rampant um, uh, saying, oh, it's it's COVID and I can't, I can't hit my sales goals because that's everyone's excuse right now. Did the nonprofits see a hit during COVID that they weren't able to raise as much money. I know that they couldn't do the in-person events. I know that had a significant impact kind of after they got through that hump and now you see things going virtual. Um, is there any trends that you saw on, on donations? Yeah. So I think it would have to be focused towards certain verticals, right? So mm-hmm. for instance, um, arts and humanities suffered, not necessarily super surprising, yeah, just because a lot of their 
efforts are focused on in-person events, but, you know, organizations like faith-based organizations or organizations that, you know, maybe work with children and advocacy programs and, and things like that. There were a lot of human services focused organizations that saw an uptick in gifts because I think generosity for people that had the capacity to give during COVID did go up yeah, because they knew that the initiatives that these nonprofits had were truly targeted towards groups in need. And so I think for as many organizations that, that we've talked to over time that really did take a hit, there are a lot more that were pleasantly surprised by the generosity that that they received. I think that's um, uh, fair to say that the same thing happened in in the more commercial world too, right? There was a there was a shift, right? You like when you talk about um, the arts, right? I used to own an improv comedy theater. It totally took a hit. It shut down, never reopened. Um, it was just impossible to get it reopened without the funding, there's definitely a shift in funding and where the money was going to go. And whether it's nonprofit or it's for profit, think as a as an organization, you got to make the pivot depending on what's going on in the world, right? And so you saw companies that were able to reinvent themselves or you know just looking at manufacturers, right? And so when they can't manufacture what they manufacture, they went into manufacturing PPE, right? So there were, you saw different things happening because those companies were agile enough to make make the changes. Um, it sounds like nonprofits did the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. And it is, you, you made a really interesting point. There were a lot of nonprofits who did pivot in terms of where they were leaning in. Maybe a program that wasn't necessarily as robust, they started diverting a lot more attention to because of what the focus was. So maybe it was more, for instance, towards providing lunch and clothes and support to kids that weren't necessarily coming to their after-school programs Mm -hmm. versus providing those things that would have been taking place on site. Yeah. Awesome. Any, um, Anything else that you would like to add about Bloomerang and the type of work that you do for nonprofits or any tips that you could give salespeople? Oh, gosh. Well, I think one, right, it's so gratifying to work for a company that not only is empowering nonprofits, but empowering their people. I had been with Kindful for a really long time, and, you know, it's really wonderful to expand a a company and have some of those company values continue to to be the same throughout a transition. And and so I am, you know, I consider myself blessed, especially throughout everything that folks have been facing the last year or two to have continuity and and still love the work that I'm doing and and feel gratified in it. So definitely that um, from a, from a sales perspective, I I think um, a piece of information that, that I would say is a good thing that I've learned over time is listen twice as much as you speak. <laughs> and if you are going to speak, no matter who you're, who you're speaking to understand the power of your words. Love that. I love that. Um, talk less, listen more, watch what you're saying. 
Kind right. of that simple. Pretty, pretty simple. Well, it's, it's that time to start wrapping up the show. But before we do, I've got a couple other questions. I think I kind of knocked out one question in a way because I asked you for, for a tip, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how we, usually Rachel does these questions. So I'm, I'm going to do the Rachel questions right now. And um, the first question is, how would, do you define sexy? Oh, wow. Love this one. Uh, I know you do. <laughs> I, I was thinking about this a little bit and, you know, it's that moment whether it's on the phone, in person, you hear something, you see something, it's the, dang, I want to bottle that up and use that. (sighs) Yeah. It's like, I want that thing. I want to just take that, absorb it and go work a room with that. Yeah. Ooh, I like that. Ooh, that's good. That's good. Never got, never got that one. Love it. Love it. Um, What is the, uh, what is the best advice you've ever received? Oh, so I received this some somewhat recently, but um, a, a mentor of mine looked at me and said, don't let your pragmatism get in the way of your own success and living out your dreams. Mm. Oh, I like that. That is good. I've added a new question. This, this might throw you because you might not have heard it. I've added a new question. What is the worst advice you've ever been given? Oh, <laughs> Gosh. Um, You're like, I shouldn't have listened to that. So I used to, to hear this often talking about the importance of, of presenting yourself well, right. And Mm -hmm. the importance of, of saving face and creating uh, a solid reputation for yourself. But I think sometimes you lose yourself in the idea of what you're presenting and I think mm. so much better to to be authentic and and fail and and fumble a little bit, but but know at the end of the day you're being the most authentic you as opposed to the version that you're trying to to make people see. Oh my gosh, that is that's a mic drop. <laughs> that is, that's awesome. You know, we talk about that all the time about being authentic, uh, but we still battle with this of. You know, Rachel and I talk about it all the time, but we still both struggle with what is expected of us and then trying to be what is expected of us. And then there's an inner battle that doesn't make sense to do those things, rather just be who we are and people will either buy into it or they won't. Absolutely. And isn't it so great when people do? Because you know, it's, it's the thing that you want. Like, which goes back to me. Yeah. Which goes back to sexy. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Like battling that up. Don't we all want that? Wouldn't we love to just be free and be who we are um, imperfectly, knowing that we're going to screw things up along the way? We're going to make mistakes. Um, you know what? I don't think anyone makes mistakes on purpose and intentionally. No, no right? way. Right. But, but when you're willing to be like, yeah, screw that up. <laughs> and then you know? you're wrong with it. Cause you're, you're good and you know, you, yeah, you, you just roll with it. I mean, I'm making mistakes left and right. Um, but, but I own them, right. I own them. And I think that's what creates, keeps it real for people because then they feel like, Oh, whew. I mean, I had someone say that to me once in a presentation. So I was trying to learn how to use my new MacBook, which 
I'm still trying to learn. And I couldn't get my presentation to show on Zoom and I'm like sweating. And the guy says, oh, thank God you're not perfect. I thought you were so perfect. I was like, you did? I don't know where you got that from. Right. But it gives people the freedom to also not be perfect. It was so great having you on the show today. Um, If people want to reach out to you, connect with you, learn more about you or Bloomering, what are the best ways to do that? Yeah. Feel free and and hit me up on LinkedIn. Feel free and and message me. Reference the show. I, you know, I, I love growing my network, but you know, would love to to hear that that's how you found me. Um, it's just Julia Meadows. Uh, also, feel free and shoot me an email. I've uh, julia.meadows at bloomering.com. Would, would love to, to chat and connect. Awesome. Thank you so much, Julia. Thank you to our Warners for listening to this episode of The Women Your Mother Warns You About, sponsored by Sales Gravy. Hey, you know what? If you like this show, or any of our shows, share it. Share share this episode with someone, especially someone in the nonprofit world or someone not in the nonprofit world because they might be able to learn something from that. Like we should be open to always learning from other spaces, other verticals, other people, other types of salespeople and business people. So share this with someone else. Always be learning. Speaking of always be learning, you can always be learning at Sales Gravy University. Go to salesgravy.university to sign up for one of our courses like my Selling with Stories course. I got to plug it because it's fresh and new and hot and um, getting really good reception. You can find everything about this show, past episodes at womenyourmotherwarnsyoubout.com. You can also connect with Rachel and I through there or at salesgravy.com. Again, thank you, Julia. Thank you, Warners. We're out of here. This really will get serious soon. Yeah, don't. It doesn't have to. I don't think anybody wants it to be serious.